Thank you, choir. It's already been mentioned, but I do want to say thank you, choir and musicians, and for the fervency and uh, excellency by which you gave God praise tonight. And there's only one McCormick's Creek, I can just tell you that. There's just one, only one church like this. You all are just special, and you're wonderful. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. Quickened means to make alive. Hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. And His kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. I'm going to speak to you tonight about your position in Christ, or our position in Christ. And a subtitle is, You May Be Seated. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for Your anointing. We pray, God, tonight that Your living Word will preach the written Word, that You would fulfill Oh God, every part of your plan for this week, that you would complete it tonight in this service. We thank you for touching us in such a special way, for being so close to us and accessible to us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God, for all that you have done and all that you are about to do. Everyone say, in Jesus' name. And now, you may be seated. most important thing that we could ever learn, the greatest quest we could ever be on, and also the world's, the world's and the church's greatest need is to see Jesus. We must not look at Him for a moment. But there must be something that compels us, something that drives us, as it were, something that gets a hold of us, that we cannot cease to gaze upon Him. I want you to say this with me. I've had you say it before, but we're going to say it again. Say, gaze upon Jesus and glance at all others. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. We are looking unto Jesus. Everyone say, looking. We don't just look unto Him one time, but it is an action. We are looking. Our eyes are transfixed upon Him. It is something that we cannot cease to do. Because the greater we see Him, the more we see Him, the more we are exposed to Him, the more we are transformed into His likeness. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's really... Uh, really a poor translation, what it means in the original, or what it says in the original is, where the Spirit is made Lord, there is liberty. Wherever He is made Lord, 
we have freedom like we felt here tonight. Because He is Lord, we can sing, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. There's liberty in this house tonight. And where the, and it, whosoever the Son shall make free shall be free, free indeed. But the next verse, beyond freedom, what comes next? After liberation comes transformation. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. Greek word transformed. Same Greek word transfigured. If you can understand the magnitude of that of that word in the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' garments changed, when His face shone like the sun. The deity that was in Him was manifest in time and space. There was a window into His eternal essence just for a moment for those three that were with Him. Transfiguration, transformation. It is metamorpho in the Greek. We all with open face are changed, are metamorpho into the same image. From glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Even as by the One that was made Lord in our lives. So the next process that we go into after God has delivered us and brought us into a place of salvation and we have freedom, is we begin to look upon Him. And with, and with unveiled faces, we see, behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And we're changed from glory into glory. We're changed as we see that image. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we will see Him as He is. That means the degree of my vision of Him is the degree of my transformation. We now, the Bible says, see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So each glimpse that I have of Jesus gives me an opportunity to be changed. And for this reason, we must do more than just get an occasional glance. For this reason, we must gaze. We must keep our eyes upon Him that we may be transformed into His likeness. This is our call. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now and would you tell Him, I want to be like you, Jesus. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 a most revealing prayer. A prayer whose words are still, prayer which, which, which words are still released in the earth, which are still effectual and affecting us. We know this because He says it plainly. In verse number 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me for Thine. For they are Thine, and all Mine are Thine, and Thine are Mine, and I am glorified in them. So he was saying, I am praying for these that you have given me. But then he says in verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from the, from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, 
but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And this is what he prays, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou hast gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you know what he was praying here? Do you understand what he was praying? He was not praying for us to have a relationship with the Father. He was praying that we could have His relationship with the Father. That we would be one with Him as Christ, the Man, the Son of God, was one with the Father. So he is saying, for you now, when you believe upon Him, you can have access to the Father like Jesus had access to the Father. He said it very plainly in John 14, If you believe on Me, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do. But in the very beginning of this, He gives us the key to making this all possible. Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee. The only true God, the word and here is Kai in the Greek. It means even, even Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast Eternal life is knowing Him. This is eternal life. Eternal life comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want the full revelation of who He is. I don't want to just see a little of Him. I want to see all of Him. I want to know Him. I used to hear my dad pray when we were growing up. We'd have morning prayer together, and I'd hear my dad, who was, in my mind, the greatest man of God on planet Earth. And I would hear this man, who was so mildly used of God, say, Oh, if I could just know you, Jesus. And we would get that done with the prayer, and I'd say, Dad, I mean, don't you already know him? I mean, you know. He called you. You, you talked to him. He talks to you. He uses you all the time. You're his representative. You're the pastor of the church. I mean, don't you? I mean, you know him, you know, right? You know him. What did you mean by that? Oh, no, I've just begun to know him. I, I, I've just got started in knowing him. I, I, this is just, God is so big and he is so awesome and there's so much about him. And my dad began to tell me that living for God was kind of like this. It's like coming into a big room. And this beautiful big room with, with, that, with, 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 the, most, with the most perfect uh, fixtures and crown molding and and there's tapestries and paintings and 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 there's furniture that's it is it is exquisite it's the best and you explore this room and all the beautiful things in it and just about the time you think that you've seen all there is to see in this room you notice that there's a door there that you didn't see before and you open that door and there's another room and you walk into this room and it's twice as big as the one you were just in and you thought that one was beautiful, but this one is <laughs> wow. And it blows your mind and you and you look through this room and you and you see it. And just about the time you finish exploring that room, you say, All right, now I've seen all there is to see and well, I don't remember seeing that door. 
And you open that door, and then there's another door, and another door, and then you step outside, and that was just one house on one street in one small subdivision. And there's continents that are left to be dis- to continents that have yet to be discovered. That's how it is with the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are just beginning to understand the greatness and the magnitude of who He is. We are just beginning. Do you realize that in eternity, the Bible says, and of the increase of His peace and of His kingdom, there shall be no end. The kingdom of God will continue to increase even in eternity. This is not just going to be a principle that we live by right now. In eternity, He's going to constantly be blowing our minds now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. It is endless. John said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life through His name. If we were to write, and I'm paraphrasing, all the words and all the acts that Jesus did, the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. The Bible says that they took knowledge of the disciples. They took knowledge of the apostles. That they had been with Jesus. Not that they had been to the university. Not that they had been to the temple. Not that they had studied well. Those things are fine and those things are good. None of those things we would shy away from. We would welcome anyone to accuse us of those things. But there's a whole other category when somebody says, you've been with Jesus. I can tell because the way that you talk and the way that you carry yourself and the way that you live, how you, how you, how you carry yourself. Hmm. Would you stop for a minute right now? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? And would you say, I want people to know I've been with Jesus. The apostles were living out the fulfillment of Jesus' work upon the cross. The whole reason why He came was so that we could have His likeness. So that we could carry on His work. Acts 1 and 1 says, And of all the, G- all the things that Jesus began both to do and teach. The book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus began both to do and teach. If there is no amen at the end of the book of Acts, that means church history is still being written. And if we believe the apostles' doctrine, and if we follow their practices, we can be a part of that history. How many want to be a part of that apostolic history? How many want to enter into that same realm that the apostles operated in? 
I don't want to just be Pentecostal. I want to be apostolic. To be Pentecostal is to speak with tongues as they did on the day of Pentecost because they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. We call it Pentecostalism because it happened on the day of Pentecost. But I don't want to just be experience based. I want to have a lifestyle of living the way they lived. Apostolic functionality. That's apostolic government, apostolic practices, apostolic lifestyle, apostolic miracles and signs and wonders, apostolic evangelism. Thank you, Jesus. But what does it mean to be apostolic? It means that we carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we have to see what our position in Christ actually is if we are going to live that out in our lives. I want to be full of Him. I want to be overflowing with Him. I want Him to show up in me. I want people to see Him in me. Does anybody here want people to see Jesus in you? Is there anybody here tonight that says, I want to know Jesus that way. I want to be so filled with Him that He's in me and I'm in Him. That I am immersed in God. That I am immersed in Jesus. I want to get full, so full that I'm intoxicated. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, they accused them of being drunk because they were so full of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, I saw a little drunk spirit kind of coming up in here, up on this platform. I felt like tonight might just be one of those nights when the Holy Ghost was going to be so strong that they're going to carry us out drunk in here tonight because the power of the Holy Ghost is in this place to transform us, to fill us, to empower us. And it's so great it can literally intoxicate you. (laughs) But here's the key to making all that happen. And why the revelation of Jesus is so important. Jesus came in the flesh to do in the flesh what no one else could do. He was the only one who had power over all flesh. Our biggest problem here tonight is not the devil. Our biggest problem is our flesh. Because if we have flesh that is crucified, there's nothing in this world that I want. And if the devil cannot offer me anything in this world, he has nothing on me. He has no means to control me. That's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 30, The prince of this world cometh unto me and hath nothing in me. The way the devil controls us is that our flesh wants what's in the world. And as long as we still want what's in the world, he's got something to bargain with. He has a way to tempt us and to test us. But Jesus came in the flesh as a man to walk among us. And he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He overcame the tempter. He overcame the prince of this world. He said, now shall the prince of this world be cast out and I if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me he changed the pull you see when we were born into this world our flesh is naturally pulled to the earth just as our bodies are subject to gravity so our flesh wants what's in the world but when we see Jesus high and lifted up there's another pull that's stronger than the pull of the world 
It's the pull of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction to our souls, drawing us to a cross. There is a, a convicting power that when I see Him, He says, I want to deliver you. I want to set you free. I want to put away that old man and take away the power of sin from your life so that you can have the freedom that I have, so you can have the access that I have, so you can be like me. Aren't you thankful for an old rugged cross here tonight that sets us free from our flesh, that sets us free from ourselves? So we identify with Christ according to our revelation of Him is how we identify with Him. The first thing that we do when we identify with Christ is we are crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not in the Son of God, but of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Calvary imparted faith to us to overcome our flesh so that we could be crucified with Christ. When you come down to an altar and you repent of your sins and you say, God, I want to get rid of this old life that I have, you are seeing Jesus upon that cross and you are being crucified with Christ. And then we get up and we crucify that flesh every single day so that we can live a life of triumph in the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful? He has power over the flesh. The Bible says we are also buried with Him in baptism. When you go down to water and go down in water in the name of Jesus, you are buried with Him in baptism. Christ was buried after He was crucified. He was in the grave for three days and three nights, the Bible says. And after three days and three nights, He rose from the grave. When He went to the grave, He took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He took them with Him into the grave. He took all of the sin with Him into the grave. And He buried it. He said, it's over. When the last word that Jesus said when He pushed up on the nail the last time was, it is finished. It's completed. It's done. The sacrifice has been made. The blood has been shed. The propitiation is there. Now there is atonement. Atonement is at one mint. Atonement. I am now made one with the Father. The barrier is taken away. It's finished. And when He buried it, He buried it forever. And when you go down in water in the name of Jesus, Jesus, you are identifying with Christ and you are burying forever your old life and it will never be remembered again. Your sins will never be remembered again. Who you were is, is forever buried and now you have a new identity. You take on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism. Let's clap our hands and let's thank the Lord for that. And then the Bible says He's quickened us and we were raised with Him. We were raised with Him. What does it mean to be raised with Him? The same power that raised Him from the dead is the same power that now quickens us by the Holy Spirit. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, you identify with His resurrection. His resurrection power. And so, folks, if we can, if we can believe... In His crucifixion, in His burial, in His resurrection. Why stop there? 
But there are whole movements that are limited in their scope of revelation. And they keep Him at just one stage. They have a great, they have a great revelation of His cross. And so they just put crosses everywhere. And that's all they're about is just the cross. And they never progress beyond the place of just talking about their sins and Him being our sacrifice. Then there are other movements that are all about baptism. Matter of fact, they call themselves Baptists. Because that's as far of their revelation that they go. And then there are other organizations, thousands of organizations by go, that go by the name of Pentecostal because that's as far as they have gone in their understanding and their revelation. They stop at His resurrection. But folks, that's not our position in Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 2, He has made us to sit together with Him in heavenly places. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He's resurrected. He's not walking in the earth as He did for those 40 days, giving infallible proofs. They saw Him ascend into the heavens. And they heard a voice say, as you see Him go, so He's going to come back again. Where is He now? He is sitting down. He is sitting down in the seat of authority. When John saw Him at Patmos, the Bible says He was gird about the paps with the golden girdle. What He was talking about was the imagery of a high priest. That after the high priest finishes his job, He takes, he takes the, His skirt that was around His waist and he pulls it up up to his chest and then he sits down. He says, it's done. I have done the work that I was in here to do and I was received and God has answered my prayer as I brought the blood into the holiest of holies. And when John saw Jesus, he was gird about the chest with a golden girdle. You know what he was seeing? The work is finished. He's not on the cross anymore. His blood was accepted. The veil is rent in twain. And now you know what he's doing? He's sitting down because it's finished. The position of sitting is a position of power. The person sitting in the room is the one that has the power in the room. The servants stand. The king sits. He sits upon the circle of the earth. Heaven is my throne and the earth is just my, my footstool. He's sitting down and the earth is his footstool. He sits. When he sits down, it means I have the authority. I have the power. I'm sitting. You may be seated. This is what he's asking us tonight. Are you ready to be seated with me? Everything that Jesus did was to prepare a place for us. To prepare a position for us. If we can be crucified with Him, if we can be buried with Him, if we can be resurrected with Him, then the Bible says we can also sit together with Him in heavenly places. It's time for you to take your place with Jesus in heavenly places. Stop and lift your hands to the Lord right now. And let's give Him praise. Hmm. Now, 
we have to measure the stages. How do we know where we are in terms of our revelation? There's got to be a way to measure it. I can't just say, well, I have the revelation. I know what I know. I'm seated with Him. How do I know I'm seated with Him? How do I know I've come to that place in the Spirit where I'm dwelling in the high noon of revelation? There's no shadow of turning. Nothing left to fulfill. But I'm walking in current revelation with Him in the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. How do I know that that's where I'm living and that's how I'm existing? There's a simple test. And I'm going to bring you through it. I call it the gospel test. Are you pre-Calvarian or are you post-Calvarian in your view of Christ? A pre-Calvarian view of Christ always reads the gospels and sees themselves as the person that is in need. If you have a post-Calvarian or a post-resurrection view of Christ, you always see yourself as Christ when you read the Gospels. Because you have picked up His ministry and you are walking in His anointing. Let me give you a classic example. The woman with the issue of blood. We can use this Scripture as a very simple test to know where you are in the scenario. We preach it so often. There's a crowd. There's Jesus and His disciples. And then there's a woman that sees Jesus. And when she sees Him, there is virtue in Him. He's on His way to raise up Jairus' daughter. Is that right? So because He's got virtue in Him for Jairus' daughter, there is healing power that is in Him at that moment. She recognizes it. And she says within herself, if I can just touch the hem of His garment... I will be made whole. I believe there is so much anointing and virtue in Him that I don't even have to touch Him. I just have to touch His clothes. Everyone say, touch His clothes. There was so much that it literally saturated His body and got into His clothing. She pressed her way in behind and she touched the hem of His garment. And so many times I've heard people preach this to the saints that we have to press our way through the crowd to get to Jesus and touch the hem of His garment. And what that projects is a crisis mentality. That the only time that you really touch Jesus and the only time that you really feel uh, something from Him is when you're half dead and you've tried everything else there is to try and now you press your way through the crowd as if the people around you that might be against you, that's also kind of a bad mentality. I don't know what you're here for, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch Jesus. It's kind of like that old song, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. That's a little offensive, you know. I don't know why you're here, but you know I'm going to praise the Lord, buddy. Ever thought that maybe that multitude was interested in Jesus too? They just didn't have enough revelation. They just weren't seeing what she was seeing. What this story is about is an evangelistic story that you might just be a part of the crowd, but when you have an urgent need in your life and you recognize who Jesus is, you realize that every place that you've tried to make it right is just not going to measure up. You might as well just press your way through and get to Jesus. And when you touch Him, He can make you whole. But this is not, a, this is not for saints.
I don't want you to have this mentality that you have to be half dead before you can touch Jesus. That you have to hold on to an affliction for 12 years before you can press through. That is a pre-Calvarian view. That is a limited view of Jesus. That is a pre-resurrection revelation of Jesus. Oh, He can do it. And we can stay there. If you want to stay in that dimension, we can stay there all night. But why don't we just move on a little bit further and realize that God wants to expand our understanding about Him and what He's able to do. She opened the door. The the woman opened the door and taught us about the anointing getting into Jesus' clothes. And the Bible tells us at the end of of Matthew 14 that when Jesus got out of the ship, they saw Him. And they said, will you just stand here so we can touch you? And as many as they brought to Him, they touched the hem of His garment and they were healed. They had a higher revelation of what was possible with Jesus. And so when they touched Him, they were healed. She opened up a precedent. If He would do it for me, He will do it for anyone. If you can find a place where somebody else has touched Him, then you can touch Him too. This is an awesome progression of faith. But let's go another step. What is post-revelation? What is post-resurrection revelation look like? The Bible says in Acts chapter 19 that the Apostle Paul had special miracles because they took aprons and handkerchiefs from his body. You know why he did that? Because he was reading the stories. He was hearing the, the, the eyewitnesses of people that had walked with Jesus, that saw the anointing that was in his clothes. And he said, I am now his representative in the earth. I am seated with him as he is, John tells us, so are we in this world. Not as he was, but as he is, so are we in this world. And so he said, if the anointing could get in Jesus' clothes, it can get in my clothes too. You may be seated. This is your position in Christ. Seated with Him. Your position in Christ. Do what He does. Think like He thinks. Flow like he flows. If it can get in his clothes, it can get into mine. Would you stop and lift your hands to the Lord right now? And would you ask him to do it in you? Stand up. Isanda Maria Tondolora Moshek. Imanda Labakita Lamaya Tomashi. Mashek Lamasi Lomolotoye. My son, your gifts have not gone away, and your talents have not left you, neither has your ministry been taken away from you. But I have put you in a cocoon, says the Lord, in a long season of refinement and maturity, 
For there are many things that I had to strip away from you, to take from you, to answer the prayers that you prayed so long ago. But I have not forgotten your prayers, and I have not forgotten my promise to you. And behold, I am awakening you again to serve. And I will open your eyes, and I will manifest my power, and I will give you a new heart, says the Lord. Clap our hands to the Lord and give Him praise. From a position of being under to being over. When you sit with Him in heavenly places, that means you're on top with Him. You are an overcomer. What does it mean to be an overcomer? You come up over. You get on top. So many times our prayers are prayers of being under. Well, you know what God is saying? I want you to be seated with me. And I want you to pray on top. When Jesus was in the boat, here's another example, here's another test. He went to sleep on the boat on purpose. You know why? He was saying, I want to see how far you've grown, how much you've learned yet. He fell asleep because he wasn't worried about the storm. He knew the storm was coming, but he also knew he had a destiny to die on a cross, not in Galilee. So if he wasn't going to die in Galilee, then no storm was going to be able to destroy him. And that awareness gave him a tremendous and deep peace within himself. A peace that was so great that the storm could not take away. 
In the meantime, they're panicking. They're trying to bail out. And finally, they think that Jesus doesn't care because He's not reacting like they think He ought to react, showing how little revelation they really have. And when God doesn't react like we think He ought to react, it is not the lack of God's willingness to work. It's our lack of understanding what He's really wanting to do right now. Finally, they shake Him. Don't you care that we perish? And He just kind of stands up and goes, Peace be still. And the storm stops and the wind stops blowing and the water vanishes from the boat and they're all of a sudden on the land. And they don't even know how they got from the, from the middle of the sea to the land. And they look at Him and the Bible says they were astonished and they, and they said, what manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey Him? They were more afraid after seeing His power than they were even of the storm that they thought was going to kill Him. And what was Jesus' response? Where is your faith? In other words, don't you know you could have done the same thing that I just did? I was sitting this one out hoping that you all would just take care of it. Peace, be still. What is this post-revelation, post-resurrection revelation, post-Calvarian revelation? Peace. The storm can't take away my peace. So my peace takes away the storm. I stop telling God how big the storm is and how much I feel under it. And I start talking to the storm about how big my God is. I stop telling God how big the storm is and I start telling the storm how big my God is. He said, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. What does that mean? You're going to come and sit down with me. You're going to be seated. You're just going to speak the Word. You're not going to be whining and crying and scratching your way and clawing your way like some woman with, with an issue of blood. Oh, if I can just get there somehow. If I can, some way, God. This is how we come to Him. Oh, God, there's this big mountain in front of me. God, and I don't know what we're going to do. God, He said, stand up. And speak to it. Just speak to it. Take authority over it. He never said, ask me to move the mountain and I'll move it. He said, you will speak to the mountain. Why? Because I'm going to put my authority in you just like that authority is in me. You may be seated. He is giving you the place to stand as a representative of Him in the earth through the power of His name. In My name, you will cast out devils. In My name. In My name. One of the Ten Commandments says we should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That does not just mean swearing. That's not profanity. That means when He puts His name on you, don't take His name in vain. It would be like someone getting married and taking their husband's name and then not acting married. You took His name in vain. You didn't really mean to be one with Him. 
when He gave you His name, He didn't want to give it to you in vain as if it wasn't going to work or you were not going to act like you were one with Him or had a relationship with Him or were His representative. He fully intended for you to use it. The Bible says the apostles bear witness to His resurrection with many signs and wonders. We bear witness to the resurrection of Christ that He is raised from the dead through using the name of Jesus. This is why we know He is resurrected. Because when I say His name, things happen. If He was dead and He couldn't hear me, then why, when I say Jesus, does something come into the room? Why is it then, when I say in the name of Jesus, demons tremble and come out? Why is it when we say in the name of Jesus, cancers leave people's bodies and people are healed? Hallelujah. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. And He gave that power to us. Just whisper His name now. Jesus. Say it again. Say it again. Jesus. Jesus. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him together. Worship you. Brother Barnes taught me something, and I want to share it with you. When I sat with him in his office, T.W. Barnes told me about overflowing. We're a three-partite person. That means we're spirit, soul, and body. The Holy Spirit comes into your human spirit. That's where it resides. And he says, walk with Jesus in your spirit. And he said, and then... He will overflow into your soulish realm. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so, you will take on the mind of Christ. You begin to think thoughts like He thinks. You'll take on His, his heart, His emotion. You'll care about what He cares about. He will move upon your heart. Just as He was moved with compassion, so we will begin to be moved with compassion about things that we didn't have any compassion for before. He will also restrain us from emotions that we are normally used to having. 
And those emotions will be nailed to His cross and they won't matter anymore. We won't have the pride. We won't have the anxiety. We won't have the fear. We won't have the jealousy. We won't have the, the worry that will go away because our emotions are sealed with His. And then our will will be strengthened to be obedient and His will will become our natural order of life. It will become so natural to be in God's will that the only time that you have to pray about His will is when you suddenly feel yourself out of it. It will be so natural for you to be in it that the only time you recognize anything different is when something is not exactly right. It will overflow into your soulish realm. And then it will be in your personality. He will flow out of your personality. And people will, will, will sense it in the thoughts that you have and the way that you express yourself and the choices and decisions that you make. But it doesn't stop there. And it can get into your body. God's Spirit can begin to overflow until it gets into the tissue and the sinew of your flesh. And Brother Barnes told me, he said he had been practicing this, he had been praying this, he had been speaking for the overflow to be in his life. And he literally walked across the street and saw one of the lawyers there in Minden, the town that he pastored in. And when he saw the man who was not a Christian, and he didn't even know that the man had terminal cancer, he just shook his hand. Hope you're having a good day today. And the man knew he was a man of God. Pastor Barnes, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. About three weeks later, he calls Brother Barnes and says, Sir, I don't even know if you remember me, but you shook my hand about three weeks ago. He said, and when you did, I felt something come into my body. He said, you didn't know it, but I had terminal cancer and they gave me six months to live. He said, but just by you shaking my hand, something happened to me. I just went to the doctor and my cancer is gone. Jesus, I want you like that. Does anybody want Him like that inside of you? Does anybody want to overflow in the Spirit like that? Does anybody want to take knowledge? That we've been with Jesus. He's in this place tonight. Would you clap your hands again to the Lord and give Him praise one more time. I can feel something in my hand right now, folks. I feel something in my hands right now. There's times when I will feel something on my face. I'll feel it. I felt it at times when it was almost in my teeth where I could feel, I could literally feel something, a tingling presence of God that was there. And I'm telling you that the Holy Ghost in this place tonight is wanting to take us all into a new dimension. He's wanting to give us more revelation. He's wanting us to understand how real this power is that's working on the inside of us. It's much more than just a bless me. It's much more than just I feel good kind of thing. It is something that literally transforms your life. It's something that literally changes every aspect 
aspect of your life and converts it into the power of Jesus Christ. This is what He wants. He wants us to walk out of this place as all little Jesuses. He wants us to walk out of here with His anointing and His power in our lives where we touch people, where we minister to people, and just by the touch of our hands, they can feel something. Just by the words that we speak, they know that we have been with Jesus. Just by the countenance upon our face, they can sense Him. I prayed this. I prayed this a long time ago. I prayed. I said, Jesus, I know people are demon-possessed. And when they get demon-possessed, they're so demon-possessed that they don't remember the things that they say. They don't remember the things that they did. They might froth at the mouth. They might, they might slither like a snake on the ground. They'll stink. They'll, 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 they will say vile things. They will do vile things. And then when they get control of their consciousness again, they'll come out of it and they'll say, what did I do? And they don't even remember the things that they did. They were so demon-possessed. I saw a man one time that I dealt with that had a demon that crawled on all fours away from me, banged his head up against the bathtub in the room where I was trying to help with him in his house. And later on, as I was, as I was leading him through repentance, the, and I was telling the man about the, the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ and how much Jesus loved him, the demon in him was being so tormented. You could literally see his stomach going back and forth, something in there going back and forth, and then suddenly blood started coming out of the corners of his mouth because he was so tormented by that demon eventually we we got him to the point where he renounced it and asked jesus to forgive him and he forgave those that he had held so much bitterness in his life and we got a measure of help for that man that night but folks if the devil this is what i prayed if it's fair for the devil to possess people so much that he takes them over to that degree then jesus it's fair for you to possess me that much for you to fill me up that much that I am so full of you that I speak things that were not from me, that I do things that didn't originate from me, that you so possess me that nobody can ever question whether it was God or not. The Bible says just the shadow of Peter passing by. Just when Peter's shadow passed by, they got up off of their stretchers. That's what I'm talking about, of being seated with Christ. That's what I'm talking about with Revelation. That's what I'm talking about what God is wanting to do and making us apostolic. That's the kind of church that you and I are a part of tonight. Many, many years ago in, uh, in Henderson, Kentucky, I started praying this during the revival there. I was, I was praying, God, possess me. I want you to just take me over. I want to be so full of you that there's nothing left of me. And I was praying spirit, soul, and body prayers. I submit my spirit, soul, and body. And I would give my five senses to God. And I would yield my mind, my will, my emotions, my past, my present, my future. I would give Him all my choices. I, I gave Him everything. I submitted myself continually before God. And then I would say, now take over. I want you to possess me. I want people to know that I've been with you. And I prayed this for weeks. And then one day the Lord said to me, I'm going to do it. But I need your permission one more time. And I, then I got scared. And I said, okay, God, don't make me do something that will embarrass me. And I thought, no, well, that's pride. And then I rephrased it. I said, no, don't let me do something that will embarrass you. Embarrassing me, no problem. Embarrassing you, I don't want to put anything, 
I don't want anything to happen that would give you a bad name or for me to do something that people would think that there was something crazy or strange or weird about us. They already have enough reasons. (laughs) And so the next day I got up and I just had that. I just had that feeling of. I don't know if I even need to pray it today because he already said he's going to do it. And so I just started thanking him. Thank you, Lord. That you're going to just do it. You're going to take over. You're going to completely be in charge. I want that. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I want you to just... I want you to erase me. Erase me. And let it be all you. And I went and preached. And this time it was uh, in another another church. The revival in Henderson ended. And we just kind of carried the revival over to another church. And I came in this night. And I preached. And there was a good service. It was okay. It, It was good. There was a Holy Ghost anointing there. But I kept feeling like God wasn't done, but the service was done. And I got in the car, and usually at the end of the service, the anointing kind of lifts. Instead, it got stronger. And I got in the car with the pastor, and I just said, man, I still feel the anointing. I just feel the Holy Ghost. I, whew, God, and he just looked at me and said, that's good, brother. And then we just drove, you know, out to the restaurant, and we got to the restaurant. You know how we do. We take over restaurants. And, and uh, there was about 30 of us that went into the back of the restaurant. Were you there? I don't know if you were no, I don't think, no, you weren't there. Maybe Lori was there. Were you there that night? I don't know if you were. I think, uh, I think we drove there. I think we might have drove, driven there. It, we, we were in uh, Owensville. That's where we were. And anyway, we went to Jerry's restaurant there. And there was about 30 of us that were in the back room. And we ordered, and I ordered spaghetti or something. And, and uh, man, I, they wouldn't lift. I got up, and people know that I, you know, I like to have fun. And so I got up and I said, man, I just feel like praying for somebody. Well, they thought I was just, you know, after church kind of overflow, you know, a little bit. And, and they thought I was just kind of being funny or you know, just kind of saying it kind of in a, you know, how we do in our, in our, little, our, our, our little way. And they said, well, just pray for her then. They, and they laughed. Well, I was serious. I went, okay, I will. And so I just walked over, and there's one of our ladies sitting at the table, and I laid my hands on her, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just started talking to me. She started crying, and I was praying over her, and whew, that felt good. All right, I'm done. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe I can sit down. Maybe that's enough. And I sat down, and, man, it was still there. It was stronger. And when they realized that I was serious, a line formed in the restaurant. There was all these young people that lined up. And they, well, we have to leave now, Brother Cisco. We're not going to be at the rest of the revival because we have church on our church at our night. And Hallelujah. <laughs> and I looked up from the chair, and the Holy Ghost began to talk to me, and I prayed for them, and their tears are going. And, and they go and stand. And the second one comes, and I pray for them, and they go and stand. And the third one, by this time, the waitresses are not even coming into the back room anymore. <laughs> we got to this one. And the Lord said, the Lord said to her, your joy has been pent up within you for years because you carry a secret around. You don't want anyone to know, but this this secret is stealing your joy and giving you misery. And you just need to say one prayer and God will release you from that secret, from that pain. and He's going to give you all your joy back right now. Are you ready? Yes. I said, I just want you to say, I forgive my dad. And when she said, I forgive my dad, the tears 
squirted. Have you ever seen that? They squirted out. And then I said, now Lord, all the joy, bring it back in the name of Jesus. And she went, she spun around in a circle like this. And she was drunk out of her mind. I mean, intoxicated. Four people got around her and just started holding her up. And she was bouncing off all of them like a pinball, back and forth like this. I stood up. I said, maybe we should take this back to the church. And when I stood up, they all started to clap. And then they realized they were in a restaurant. And so then they all looked around and went, oh, we need to go pay the bills and get out of here. So they all got their checks like this, and the lady was just passing them out, you know, going by. And they were all so quiet and mannerly, and I was standing in the back room going, in the name of Jesus. These are not drunk as ye suppose. Seen it's but 1 a.m. in the morning. And I realized at that point that God had taken over and I was feeling a whole lot of zeal. And I said, God, zeal with knowledge, zeal with knowledge right now, zeal with knowledge. God, help me not to embarrass you. And so I was about to just stand up on the side of a table. I was going to get up on the bar. I didn't, you know, you know, what, what the, the coffee tub. I was going, all right, everybody in the room, if you need a miracle, I'm here. I'm ready to pray for you. God is ready to me. They were about to throw me out, you know. So I said, no, I won't do that. This is what I'll do. God, word of wisdom. The first person that talks to me, that's the one. We were in the back room, remember? I have a lot of people to walk through. So I'm walking out like this. Everyone's looking at me from their soup, you know, like. Okay. Have a nice night. I walked around the corner, the last row to go out. And a lady looked up at me and she said, Boy, that was sure amazing that happened back there. I said, Yes, it was. She said, This is my friend Frank. And I turned my look and I looked at Frank. And immediately I knew he had emphysema and he had been a chain smoker for more than 20 years. And I took his hand and I said, Frank, you don't need to smoke anymore. I said, God wants to deliver you from this habit and it's, it's about to kill you. I said, This disease in your lungs is about to kill you. And he goes, <coughs> She says, I just told him that right before you got here. I said, well, she's here because she loves you and she's trying to help you right now. Do you want some help? And he looked at me and said, yeah, yeah, I need some help. And I said, I'm going to pray for you right now. Is that okay? He said, okay. And I, and I prayed for him right there in the name of Jesus Christ, told him where the church was, and I walked out feeling like I had done the will of God. And, I, and for a second, I thought, man, that would have been awesome for those young people to see how we were able to minister to somebody that didn't know anything about what just happened. And we were able to help a soul here uh, get a little bit closer to receiving his salvation and a seed to be planted that Jesus loves them. I thought, boy, I wish they would have seen it. And then I walked outside and I wished I had seen what had happened when they all got outside. It looked like an explosion had taken place. Literally, there were people in their cars some of them had the cars on with the, with the car running. Some of them didn't get that far. The door was open and a leg was sticking out and they were in the car and the keys were in the ignition but they hadn't got it turned on. 
There were others that didn't even make it to the car. They were just staggering and walking and and they were out, about 20 people out in the parking lot were staggering around. And then there were people that were drunk on alcohol that were coming to Jerry's for coffee. And they were walking in like this, you know. And it was so funny watching these people stagger in between the people that were drunk on the Holy Ghost. And the drunk people didn't even know there was anything wrong. They're like, hey, yeah, it's a great party, wasn't it, you know? Did I, I didn't see you all there, you know. And I walk out and they give me the full tour. I want to show you this car, Brother Cisco. Look at this one. And the car is on and they're la 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 la. They're all just out speaking in tongues. Then I go to the next car and there they are later with the one leg hanging out, you know. And la la la. And there's just one kid in the back going, I don't know what mom is doing. She's just. And we stay there. And I mean, I don't know how to, how do you round them up? I mean, what do you do? So I just stood there and praised God and worshiped. And then so people started coming up to us and we had a Bible out and we didn't have a whole lot of light. And so this guy's with his lighter and we're reading scriptures and we're testifying to these people about what's going on. Are they speaking in tongues? I said, yes, they're speaking in tongues. Well, could I hear somebody? I said, just you know, take your pick, you know, which, which one, you know. And we witnessed to them about the Holy Ghost. Folks, it was absolutely phenomenal. We ended up getting to the church, and we stayed there till about 4.30 that night. The next night, the pastor was so afraid I was going to wreck the restaurant. He said, let's just go through a drive-thru tonight, okay? I was still a little tipsy from the night before. I was still feeling the overflow of the Holy Ghost. And I realized that God was still up to something. There was, so, so all the young people, they were all piled in cars behind me in the drive-thru. So I raised my hand in the car. I said, God, do it in the drive-thru. In the name of Jesus, just let your spirit fall right here in the drive-thru. And all of a sudden I heard, ah, somebody had fallen over on the horn. Speaking in tongues, drunk out of their mind, in the driver's seat. You remember that? <laughs> I got witnesses. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. And so the pastor's looking at me and he's like, oh, brother, that's so nice, you know. And I look back and I said, "Woo, glory, they're all drunk in the car behind us, hallelujah. And so we, we ordered, and then their car came up. Welcome to Rillies, can I take your order? Would you like fries with that? There was only one girl. She was in the back. The only one that could still speak English. She's looking at him. Do you want a hamburger? I saw the little guy. You know how they got the little window, you know, that you can look out and see who's in the drive-thru? I started seeing people get up and looking in the window to look out and see who's in the drive-thru. And there was like three car loads full of people that were all drunk in the spirit. We finally get to the house. Half of them couldn't even make it into the house. They were dancing out between the car and the house. 
of the Holy Ghost was so strong. Folks, I'm not suggesting that we go and just tear up restaurants tonight, but what I am suggesting is that the Holy Ghost is so real and it's so powerful that we need to let it work inside of our lives. We need to let it take root, get, get root in us and overflow in us and we take it with us. It may not always manifest like this, but folks, it can manifest in a healing. It can manifest in you caring for somebody. It can manifest in a testimony. It can manifest in a prayer. It can manifest however Jesus wants it to manifest. If you will just let Him take over and you will walk in the Spirit, we have to realize because He is seated at the right hand, we are seated with Him. We function with the same power and authority. He wants us to overflow with Him. Would you stand with me right now? That night at the house, it happened. I thought what had taken place up to that point was the fullness of it. It was leading me up to it. After two nights of being saturated by the presence of God, we sat in that house. And they just waited for me. We ate a little bit. They just waited for me come and talk. It was just understood that I had more from the Lord to tell them. And when I stood up in front of them, I changed. My personality was different. My tone was different. And suddenly I felt Jesus standing next to me. And I said, Jesus, not next to me, in me. I don't know how to describe this to you, folks. I realize this is on CD and people can misinterpret what I'm saying tonight. I'm just telling you what happened. I felt like someone just stepped into me. I just felt like I felt something in my face my hands. I felt something in my words. And then I just began to talk about Jesus. How awesome Jesus was. And I got a little card in the mail about a week later. It was one of the greatest compliments I've ever received in my life. The lady said, that night, when you were just talking to us at the house, she said, I looked up in your face and I didn't see you. She said, I saw Jesus. And something happened that changed my life that night. I know He loves me now. And I've never been the same. And I thought, this is what I've been praying for. I want Him to just be Jesus in me. Can we pray this tonight? That Jesus will be Jesus in us.